0: To continue speaking on integrity, we're doing a series. For those of you who are here for the first time, we're doing a series on righteousness, and we've called it "Grace Reigns Through Righteousness." This is about our twentieth session in the series, so we've come a long way in discussing what righteousness is, and it's the context for grace to thrive in. So, grace looks for righteousness in which to rule. And righteousness in which to reign. How many of us want more grace? If you want more grace, what you must seek to foster is righteousness. That's what I'm saying. The context of righteousness will be the landing spot for grace. If you want more grace, develop righteousness. And I explained to you over time that to come into righteousness is an act of grace itself. So when you first came in, for by grace are you saved through faith. Righteousness was imputed to you as a gift at that point in time. Now that you are saved, you must now live a life uh, of practical righteousness. And every time you decide to do the right thing, supernaturally, this is how it happens. Grace comes to attend you. I'll show you, maybe not now, in a subsequent session, uh, that it's even grace that causes you to do the right thing. It's even grace that empowers you to live righteously. Not left up entirely to you. If you know how to tap into the grace, you can do the right thing. And so at the end of the while, throughout the entire process, it could be said that grace was always at work. Grace was always at work. That doesn't absolve you, the human, from responsibility, though. You have to cooperate with grace. And the moment you incline your heart and you say, yes, God, I want to do the right thing, supernaturally you will see and experience grace come to you in a way that will literally amaze you to do the things that God expects of you to do. So we were continuing on this whole flow of grace reigning through righteousness. And in recent times, we've been talking about integrity. Everyone say integrity. Integrity as the application of, of righteousness. Okay. Now, what I, this next sort of phase we're going to do is, just two or three sessions on it is, I want to show you how carnality lacks integrity. If you're carnal, you lack integrity. But simultaneously, also I also want to show you how to overcome it. Okay? Everyone say carnality. Now, there's a verse of scripture in First John, chapter 5 and verse 7. I've been camping in, in John's writings this week, and I found it so interesting Remember I told you when you read John, please note that he's writing as an aged man. He's an old man. He was the last of all the apostles to die. So this man has seen much. He's walked with Christ for three and a half years. He's He's been privy to uh, the experiences of all the apostles, including the great apostle Paul. He outlives them all. He dies in the year AD 100, and um, he was the only one not who didn't die by being martyred they tried to kill him they put him in a pot of boiling oil and the man didn't die um he's the apostle of love what is god god is love and he is the one closest to jesus's chest right if anyone and to him the whole uh, uh revelation of jesus christ was given the book of revelation was given to was given to this man he wrote the gospel and he wrote three epistles and the whole book of Revelation. He's responsible for five New Testament letters, right? Five books in the New Testament. And when he writes his epistles, he often refers, he says, my children. He writes as an aged father. And so how many know that you would like to encounter the grace of God in a man when that grace is most mature? Not so? Right? I wish most of you met me only now. Not 10 years ago. I think I've grown in maturity to a place now than when I was then. When Paul writes 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is the most loaded book because that was the last book Paul ever wrote before they beheaded him. So if a man that knows he's about to be executed, even said when he writes there, time of my departure is at hand. The Roman soldiers are waiting. I can see them waiting. Uh, I'm ready to be spilled out, poured out like a drink offering what he was literally saying is they're going to take my head off and my blood will spill like a drink off. He said, I know my time, but he said, I have fought a good fight, etc. And When you read Second Timothy, it's like the last will and testament of a dying man. How many know that when you're dying, you've got no time to waste words on nonsense, on things unimportant? So when you read a, a gospel like Second Timothy, a epistle like Second Timothy, you read it from a man who's very serious about imparting his life and legacy to one a young man that's going to take over after him. Similarly in First John. It's like when you read First John, you've got no time for pleasantries, even. You know, he gets straight to the crux of the matter. There's a whole lot of punchline statements that are loaded with truth. One such is 1 John 5 verse 17. He says, All unrighteousness is sin. First John five, seventeen. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin. Not leading to death. I'll explain what that means in a moment. But my point is, if it's not righteous, it's sin. We want righteousness applied through integrity. But if it's unrighteous, it lacks integrity. And therefore, it is sin. Now, what I want to explain is what is sin. Because if, if we don't want to sin, not so. And we don't want unrighteousness, We want to practice righteousness. So we don't want to sin and displease God. Now please track with me. This can become a bit complicated. But it's quite easy. But just listen. And may the Lord give you revelation. May the eyes of your understanding be opened. Okay. The Greek word for sin is hamashia. Everyone say hamashia. It's H-A-R-M-A-T-I-A. Hamashia. And hamashia strictly means to miss the mark. Everyone say, miss the mark, right? It's like an archer that's trying to get bullseye. You know those rings? And he misses the goal, which is bullseye. You're aiming, but you missed the mark. Now, the Bible says, for example, in Romans 3 and verse 23, that for all have sinned and fallen short. Everyone do this, right? Uh, You you sin and you fall short of the target. What's the target? The glory of God. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the focus or the target for humans is the glory of God. Okay? The glory. So what is that then? So what's that? What's the glory of God if that's the target? The glory of God, this phrase, refers to the exact representation of God. God is invisible and cannot be seen with human eyes. But humans make him visible. So, the sons of God are meant to display the character and the nature and the likeness of God. Mankind was made in his image and his, and his likeness. Now, an, an easy way to understand glory, it's also the reputation of God. to rep, say reputation. Two words you must lock into your mind when you think of the glory of God. The one is representation, and the one is reputation. Right? If you do a word search on glory in Old and New Testament, the Greek word in the New, in the New Testament is doxa, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament is kabod. Both kabod the root words in Hebrew and or Greek denote the essence of something, the nature and the character of the thing. Okay? The nature, the essence or the the character of the thing and its representation and or reputation. Okay? And or reputation. So on the earth, here's the question. In an earth-based human context, what thing, medium or vehicle, has got the capacity to fully showcase God? What thing, medium or principle, in the earth can really, because God is invisible, but what is the principle that fully demonstrates God? Now, that principle is something called sun. Say it with me, sun. You must understand, if you don't get this, you're going to miss a whole lot. Everyone says sonship. Say son of God. There's nothing else that has got the capacity to represent the glory of God than a son of God. Right? So Adam was God's son, according to the genealogy in Luke chapter 3. Right? It says Adam, the son of God. So when God made the human Adam, he made him as his son. With this in mind, you can be seen. I cannot. I'm invisible. But you will make visible all the invisible attributes that I possess. You're going to visibilize my internal invisible attributes. I'm going to beam them off in and through your being. A very good scripture to, to corroborate my whole thought here is Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1. And verse 3 says this. And He. Everyone say He. He here is Jesus. Jesus is what? The? The radiance of His? His here is the Father. So don't confuse these pronouns here. So He is Jesus. Let me rephrase it. Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. And what? Exact. So if you see this word. The other word you must think of is exact representation. So to represent somebody, if if, if I say, I can't go to the meeting, but Jeremy, please go on my behalf, and you represent me. So I will remain invisible, unseen in that context, but you are the visible one representing my invisibility. For him to represent me means he must die to Jeremy. He must die to his own identity. And by his demeanor, his behavior, and if he acts with the power of attorney, especially if he acts with the power of attorney on my behalf. Power of attorney means he's authorized to make a serious decision on my behalf as though I would have been there myself and made it. Let's say I give him all of that authority. And he goes to the meeting and he sees a scenario and he's presented with the context to making a decision not based upon his view, his estimate, but how would Randolph praise this? How would Randolph think? And what decision would he make? So he must die to his own self and adopt my set of my priorities and so make the decision. Now, if you're going to be the son of God, that has got the capacity to represent God and to showcase the glory of God, you must not just represent him, but you must represent him Exactly. Everyone say exact. Exact Exact representation. The word exact is far more important than the word accurate. You can be accurate but not exact. Exactness takes accuracy to a level of greater precision. I gave you this example before. Accuracy is when the archer launches the arrow and it hits bullseye. Exactness is when another archer comes after him and does the same thing and splits that guy's arrow in half. Right? It's like no room for, no room, not, not a marginal, not an iota out. It must be on the head. It must be spot on. It has to be precisely right. It must be exact. i tell your neighbor very strongly. Say, if you are going to be integrous, come on, tell someone, then represent God exactly saying, now the demand is, there's going to be very little room for error. Very little room for maneuvering here or compromising there. Now I hear the Lord saying, Randolph, if you're going to get this thing right, you're going to bolt it down, then you show my glory. My glory is only possible to be shown in a son. If you are the son and I'm your father, then don't just represent me wherever you go, but represent me Exactly. Sonship is the only possible container for the glory of God. The glory of God, I said to you, is the representation of God's nature, essence, and character, or His reputation. So when Jeremy goes to that meeting, on my behalf to represent me, do you know what is on the line? Not his reputation. Whose reputation? Mine, because he represents me. So let's say he acts out of keeping with my expectation for that I would have had of him for the meeting. What he has just done is ruined, not his reputation, he's just spoilt mine. Now think about this. God, the sovereign God, has chosen to hang his entire nature, essence, and being based on your behavior. So you give him a bad name or a good name. God's saying, I'm hanging my whole credibility. is hanging on your attitudes and your actions. You have to represent me exactly, so don't spoil my reputation. Sam Solon said something powerful. He said, in a positive light, he said, In God, it is possibly the height of humility in a sovereign God to stand back and remain in invisibility and say, I'll create someone else. And I will will stake my entire reputation on their actions. In God, that's the height of humility. That's a humble God. To say, I can do what I want to, but sonship is so important to me, God says. I am a father, but I will create sonship to mirror me exactly. Now, let me just say this. You should be, when I think about this, then your hands must go up very high and say, oh, what love. Like John says, see how great a love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. Everyone say, we are of God. Say, we are sons of God. Now say, we are sons of God. Now stress God, say, we are sons of God. (laughs) Now stress the of, say, we are sons of God. When we say that word, we are sons of God, you know what you are saying? You are saying you are of God. Whatever God is, you emerge, and I'll show you the scriptures in a moment, you issue forth from, out of Him. Let me just say this to you when you understand this. Then when you have to represent, someone must make up a t-shirt with that represent or something. It must be, the young people must remember this. Say represent. Say it louder. Yeah, at school, what you must do? When you play with your friends, what must you do? Yeah. When you interact with your parents, what must you do? When you're playing with your brother, what must you do? When someone fights with you at school, what must you do? Hallelujah. (laughs) must ingrain our young people with this mentality. I am a representative of the divine. In other words... For you, listen carefully, for all of you, God is hanging his whole credibility on your actions. Okay? So tell someone, represent well. Represent well. Represent well. Okay? Now, let me get back to I'm losing my points here. The point, <laughs> but I think it's the Lord. Hamashia. Say hamashia. hamashia. Sin is the Greek word hamashia. And I say to you, what does it mean? Come on. To miss the mark. Say it louder. To miss the mark. What is the mark according to Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and fallen short of what? Glory. glory. That's the mark you miss. You, you fall short of your capacity for glory. And the only way to represent glory is as a son on, on God's behalf. Now, if you go back to 1 John 5.17, 1 John 5.17 then says, And all unrighteousness is? Sin, if sin is missing the mark, then every time I fail to represent him accurately, I fall into the category of unrighteous. Now, I need to be careful how I explain this. You are righteous in respect to the fact that you've received the gift of righteousness. You are saved and you're going to heaven if you die. You are God's son legally, legitimately, because you've accepted Christ as your Lord and And Savior, you have the gift of righteousness. But you fail to practice righteousness by a wrong representation of the glory of God in your world. And in that department, in that area, you are unrighteous. In terms of the practice thereof. Okay? In terms of the practice thereof. Now, a couple of things. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to explain quickly before I get into the the main point of today's sermon. I want to explain carnality. Because I said to you, if you're carnal, so if I'm unrighteous and I don't accurately reflect the, the, the nature of Christ, I fall into a category called, which I call carnal or carnality. Now, if you would like an extensive treatment of the subject, I deal with it extensively in my series on the spiritual man. It's on my website, and there are notes attendant with that. It's on the website. If you want to go painstakingly through the detail of it, if you do know, like a verse-by-verse study, it's all there for your... Ed- what I'm going to do now is simply a brief overview. No time to go through it again, as I did when we first did the series. Watch what Paul says here. I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, right? But to you as men of the flesh. In the King James, this phrase "men of the flesh" is carnal, right? So, what is a carnal Christian? The Greek word is sarkikos. Spiritual man is pneumaticos. Okay. Now, sarkikos means a man of the earth, a man of the flesh. Paul is saying to a whole group of Christians: Is this addressed to the world or is this addressed to Christians? Talk to me. This is addressed to Christians. He's writing to the Corinthians. He's writing to believers. And here's a great man saying, I could not speak to you like spiritual men. I have to address you as what you are. And he boldly boldly says to them, you guys are sarkikos, not pneumaticos. You are what you eat. The kind of course you eat. You are what you eat. So if you devote yourself to the flesh, that's what you become. The Bible says he will set his mind um, uh, on, on the spirit will, will tend to life, but he who set his mind on the flesh will tend to death. Romans 8 teaches that, okay? But to men as the flesh, as to what? So he says, you're not even grown, you are still infants in Christ. So I have to speak to you, and I preach. I have to go, ooh, ga, ga goo, ga, goo, gah, goo, goo, goo. I have to speak a little, babes, and dump the message down and adopt a certain manner of speech. Huh? He says, "I can't talk to you. How I want you, because of where you are." So the condition of a people can frame the speaking of a man of God. It does not. That's why be careful before you judge a man of God by his sermon. Because sometimes his sermon is constrained by God to speak to the measure of maturity in the people. So I never ever judge a man of God say, oh, what a poor message. It might be, what poor people? Man had many, even Paul said concerning Melchizedek, I have much to say, but I can't speak about Melchizedek. He said, because you are dull of hearing. So please don't limit me, brethren. <laughs> By what we deliver. Tell someone mature. Imagine if we all grow up to a particular level. Do you know what topics our sermons will then start to prosecute? Yeah. Yeah. Most churches you go to, the message is, hold on brother, help is on the way. Your breakthrough is at hand. How long are we going to keep talking that thing for when Jesus comes back? Right? Live in breakthrough. Get, get your act together. So now we can talk about Greater things. Amen? Come on, tell someone, to sign for greater things. I want to, you know, as I'm studying and writing, I'm saying, God, so your word is such a powerful book. There's so much in here. Open my eyes to see the wonders in your word. In verse 2, he said this, watch. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, because you are not able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not able. Watch. Next verse. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? That's natural men. In other words, there are three different kinds of men Paul talks about in in Corinthians. Natural men, spiritual men, and carnal men. And by the way, all those men are Christian believers. He categorizes people. Either spiritual, either carnal, or you thinking like a normal, natural man. Then he says, Verse 5, where then is Paul, what is Paul's servants to whom you've believed, even as the Lord gave each opportunity to, to each of you. Now, whenever I say to you, or oh, let's be honest, whenever you've used the word carnal, what do you mean? Oh, that's a carnal person. Oh, he's full of carnality. What is primal in your mind? Modelson, not so. Most times you're referencing things of the flesh. Not so? Right? Most times you'll reference a sexual sin. Not so? Or carnal. That's not how the word is used in Scripture. It includes it, but it's not confined to it. If you are a man of the flesh, I won't have time to go to this. Look at the series where I explain it more thoroughly. What is carnality? Listen carefully. It is unchecked, unbridled lust for anything not just sins of the flesh, so to speak. It could be any unbridled, unchecked desire or intent that has gone beyond the point of moderation. Secondly, it's a state of immaturity where infancy is the preferred spiritual state for you to abide. He talked to them as infants, remember? So if, you're, if, if you choose immaturity or infancy as your preferred a place to abide in Christ. And you refuse to grow. Now, you might think, what on earth are you speaking? I've traveled enough to make this conclusion. I think 80% of the global church right now is quite content at a level, at a place of growth in God, and they refuse to go further. That's why messages are always the same. So it's, it's unbridled, unchecked lust. It's infancy as a preferred state in Christ with no intentions of... Maturation. Thirdly, it is strife, jealousy, and division. So he says, how be it, I hear, there is strife and jealousy among you. Are you not let carnal, he says in King James. So how do you know when you are carnal? If you're full of strife, full of fight. There's always tensions in your relationships. And there's divisions. And you are schismatic in your mind. You are carnal, according to the Scripture. Don't tell me how much revelation you got. You could be a major apostle, yet divisive in your heart. And God says, carnal, not spiritual. Okay. So carnality has got to be measured accurately. And then lastly, it's sectarian or schismatic behavior, tribalism. I won't get into that because of, of time. My point is, tell someone, overcome carnality. So, listen carefully. You see, when I say integrity... It's assumed that the person has come to a particular state in Christ. For to be integrous is not to sin. And when I say not to sin, it's not to sin in respect of your not representing Christ in an exact measure in a particular domain. Now, some of you are saying, what? Not sin? Ish. I'm automatically excluded. Now, let me explain. Everyone say Hamashia. Hamashia. Means to what? Mr. the mark. What's the mark? Glory. The glory of God. When is glory seen in a sun? Okay? On whom the entire uh, reputation of God hangs. Now, very carefully, I want to read 1 John chapter 3. I want to give you the first key or clue to overcoming carnality. The first key or clue to overcoming carnality is to stay or remain a son of God. It's so easy. I would frame it as abide in sonship. If you stay in sonship, you cannot sin. And I'll explain what I mean. I'll explain what I mean in a moment. Okay? Let's read it together. It's a very profound passage. First John chapter 3 from verse 1. Because, and please listen and track with me very, very carefully. I believe First John, we're going to pray at the end of the service. As you engage, you're reading of First John this week. The book's going to explode. And it's going to greatly help your walk in Christ. In chapter 3, he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called the children of God. And such we are. I tell your neighbor, such we are. I like the way how this guy writes. You know, old Bali, right? He's hanging over his writing now. He's been there, seen, he's done it all. And he says, such we are. He's affirming the fact that we are the sons of God. Tell someone, you are a son. Come on, you are a son of God. He says, such we are. Like the way he he talks. For this reason, the world does not know us. Because it did not know Him. Beloved, now. Everyone say now. Beloved, now we are children of God or the sons of God. And it's not appeared as yet what we will be in the afterlife. The world and for. Have you ever wondered what's God's plans for when He comes back? And after the thousand-year millennium reign of Christ is done, I can't accept the fact that most people say we'll be around the throne worshiping God 24-7. No, not that glorious. Worship is great. But surely there must be a plan. The Bible says, I ah, has not seen, he has not heard. Huh? I know it says by the Spirit we can know the things but I think there's a plan of God that He has hidden. And John pitches into this. I'm not sure what we're going to be, but now we are the sons of God, he says. But one thing we know, he says, we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. What is the key to be like Him? Come on, according to this, this was easier. Eh? No, come on, it's not a trick question. What is the key to be like Him? He says, be cause. What's the reason? So if you want to be like Him, all you must do is see Him. Every time you read your Bible, you see Him. Every time you read the Word, He's exposed to you. And every view you have of Christ is the method of transformation of you into that same image and likeness. If you want exact representation, don't neglect your Bible. I'll talk more about that later. Don't neglect the Word of God. Because we will see Him just as He is. Verse 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, you keep yourself pure. Everyone, here's verse 4. Here's where it gets a bit tricky. Watch. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is what? Lawless here means without law. Undisciplined, in other words, you've taken the principles that govern how you should live and you've thrown them out the the window. Undisciplined, you're without law, without protocol, right? That is lawless. It's not primarily referring to the law of Moses here, not the Jewish Old Testament law. When he says sin is lawlessness, sin is living without principle. You know the principles, but you don't subscribe to them. And therefore, you keep missing the mark, Hamashiach, and you fail to represent God in reference to His glory. Okay? Next verse. Watch. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. And in Him, there is no sin. Now, watch verse 6. No one. Say, no one. No one who abides in Him sins. No one who sins has Seen him or, or knows him. I'll explain that in a moment. Watch. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil because the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appears for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil, which is sin in this context. Verse 9, No one who is born of God practices sin. Why? Because his seed, God's seed, abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is what? He is born of God. Verse 10, By this we know the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious by this. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the nor is the one who does not love his his brother. Now, read First John chapter one verse eight. I want to confuse you deliberately. First John chapter one verse eight says something total seeming apparent contradiction to what we've just read. In First John, he says, same writer, same book, same epistle, same guy, seemingly saying something vastly different. Yeah, he says, if we say that we have no sin, he's talking to believers, not the world. He says, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned. We make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Now John. Help us prove. Which way is it? Because one time you're saying. If we abide in him we cannot sin. And he who is born of God cannot sin. Now you're saying. If we say we have no sin. We are liars and the truth is not in us. What, what, what's happening here? This confused me in my early walk in Christ. I remember reading first John. I'm saying the man has changed his mind by the time he got to chapter. Three. No, no, no. Any contradiction in Scripture is not a contradiction. Get it into your mind first. Whenever you read the Bible, contradictions are only apparent. They're not real. They are apparent to you, the reader. Scripture must interpret. Scripture must interpret Scripture. So watch, and this, I'm really grateful for Pastor Thamo for clarifying this in his teachings, this thought that we're about to present to you now. If you are son of God, you cannot sin. What is sin? Sin is missing the mark which is glory to exactly represent God, okay? Not to sin, watch, not to sin as a son of God, is not to vacate your sonship position. Please log that truth into your thoughts. For us, watch, not to sin, is not to vacate or leave or depart away from. My sonship identity and my connection with my father. Okay? Now think about the first man, Adam. When did Adam so called sin? If you go to Adam and you say, Well, Bru, interview time, you messed up big time, brew. Tell me what happened. Tell me exactly what went down there in the garden. I want to know why is it you classified as a sinner? Uh did you did you steal? No. Did you commit adultery? No. Did you lie? No. Um did you fraud? No. Did you misrepresent anyone? No. Did you kill anybody? No. Right? So, what's the deal? Because I thought all that was sin. Adam would say to you, my sin was I disconnected from my father. There was nothing I did externally in terms of my behavior to, 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 to for you to classify me as sin in terms of the common understanding of sin. But my issue was, I lost dependence and reliance upon him. He is my father, at least he was. I was made his son. I was made to represent him. And I broke that connection. And therefore, I fell into a whole range of error. I disobeyed him in a specific matter when he said, do not eat. I was tempted, and I fell for the bait. But that's a symptom. That's an outcome of a greater departure. The departure was, I left the domain of sonship. The moment, please, you got to get this key, the moment you step out of sonship, you've sinned. And then you become susceptible and prone to a whole range of things that, symptoms I call them, outcomes of sin that sometimes grip you, right? So when John says, Please put these verses up again. When John says, for example, in 1 John 3 5, he who abides, no one who abides in him sins. 1 John 5, what did I say? 1 John 3 and verse and verse 5. No one who abides in him sins. And the one who sins has has see, no one who sins has either seen him or known him. Verse 9. No one who is born of God. even say, born of God. Practices sin. Right? Why? Watch. And sin I mean, watch Hamashia, missing the mark. What is the mark? The glory of God. Who can accomplish the glory of God? Only a son of God. If I stay connected. Say, stay connected. Right? If I stay connected, I cannot sin. And by sin, I mean, I cannot not represent accurately. I cannot depart away from God who is my Father. I might fail occasionally here and there, right? But that doesn't make me not a son. I'm talking about an eternal secure position that I have in Him. Do we all fail? Come on, anybody here? We all got freckles and frikies and niggies and yanganyagas right? We all got things that trip us up not so. I'm saying your occasional falling in one respect or another doesn't disqualify you as a son. Right? Now, please, while I'm at that, there is, I don't know where it's found, the Scriptures talks in First John about sins. First John chapter 5. Let's go there quickly. Read from about verse 16. I just want to clarify this. This is like a theological discussion today, but it's going to really, really help you. If you, if you grab a hold of this principle, it's going to be an authority in you. I am a son. Take it with me, I am a son. Don't leave that position. Don't leave that position. Anyone who sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death. Watch what John says. A sin not leading to death. He shall ask God, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death Then he says strangely oh by the way there is a sin to death and i say that he should make request for this verse 17 then says all unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not leading to there is a sin not leading to death remember it says in romans 323 uh, or 623 where it's found now is it 323 that you the uh the wages of sin is death. In Numbers 18, there's a verse which says, The soul that sins, it shall die. What is the death spoken of there? What? It's separation from God, not so? Death, in that context, listen please carefully, is separation from God where you've got no relationship with Him. Okay? Now John says, there are two categories of sin. One that leads to death. Please remember... A mature Bali is writing. Tell you about a mature Bali, right? He's got the wisdom of the ages. I think in John, is stored up a compendium or composite wisdom all welled up in one singular man. And he writes statements that no other apostle, not even the great Paul, wrote in his epistles. And he makes the statement, there are sins leading to death and there are sins not leading to, not leading to death. I think, here's my take on this. What is a sin that leads to death? The sin that leads to death is when mankind leaves sonship. Let me ask you a question. Am I a son of God? What's your view? Yes or no? Right? I know I'm a son of God. Let's say i go out now and uh, I order my Steers hamburger and the lady charges me, I ordered three, and the lady charges me for one. And I say, hey, God is on my side today. Hallelujah. And I lack integrity to tell the good lady, oh, by the way, you undercharged me. If I walk away without integrity, says, yo, I got away with murder there. Save some bucks, right? Have I sinned? Yes. That's not a sin that will lead me to my death. It's not a sin that will lead to my death. If, everyone say if. If God by His Spirit convicts me and I graciously respond to the conviction of the Lord, I say, Lord, I'm sorry, and I start to mend my ways, that sin has not led to my death. The sin that leads to death is when the man of his own will and volition chooses to leave the estate of of sonship and literally leave God. Now, I know this is debatable theologically, but do you know, the Bible says, for example, we are in God's hand. And no man is able to pluck us out. No man is able to, but you can elect to leave him. But he has positioned his heart of faithfulness never to leave you, but you can vacate him. So when you you do that as a son, watch, your sin leads to death. Death meaning eternal separation from God, lost forever. Now here yeah is the subtlety. Everyone say subtlety. You can leave here and say, woo, hallelujah. Now the sin game is open. Hallelujah. I can do what I want to because these sins don't lead to death. What I'm saying is don't get the wrong, don't hear what I'm not saying, brother. Yeah. Like, otherwise you leave with the wrong message. What is frightening to me is if the son of God sometimes falls occasionally. Let me give you some scriptures here because, and I'm just speaking my mind here. But all of these truths can be earthed in the Scripture. The Bible says, for example, "The righteous man falls," Proverbs twenty four sixteen. This is the righteous man falls seven times, but he does what? He rises up again. This is not an unrighteous man falling. It's a it would say righteous. So he's righteous by the fact that he's accepted Christ as his Savior. He's the Son of God living. But occasionally, not deliberately, but simply because we are still in our human bodies. We're battling with this thing called the sins or the weaknesses of the flesh, our carnality. And sometimes we fall. But when you fall, it doesn't mean you are written off. Because a righteous man falls. This is an amazing text. I think verses like this in the Bible are written there for our encouragement. Because sometimes you feel, I've messed up big time. I've fallen left, right, and center. Does not mean I'm, I'm lacking integrity or I'm unrighteous? No, it's not what happens to you. When it happens to you, it's what is your position after it happens to you. It's will you rise up. Tell someone, rise up. Rise up. No matter what has befallen you, come up out from it. Because righteous people fall. Even concerning Lot, the Bible says the men of Sodom vexed the, right, the soul of righteous Lot in Sodom. Okay? But the thing is, we must rise. Now, I'm discovering, watch, what, I, what the point I was making is this, the sin that does not lead to death is outcomes or symptoms of a, a main sin the main sin that leads to death is if I leave God my father as his son I've disconnected from the life source. that's how Adam' that's what Adam did okay and he, he attempted to live life watch he says God, bye-bye no more can you come to me in the cool of the day and your spirit impress your word on my spirit and let me rule the God no more that I'm my own man now I determine life. What he has become? Lawless. Without principle, without governance. Lawless. Do his own thing. But the moment Adam did that, he sinned, a sin leading to his death. Okay? Yes, there was a process of redemption that God put in place. But I'm talking when it happened. God pronounced death. Okay? So that sinned, it shall die. Now, um, when he leaves that position, in his sons, murder becomes an option. And Cain will kill Abel. And you say, wow, murder is a sin. But murder is not the real sin. The real sin was a departure away from from God. We left sonship. I beg you, tell someone, don't leave sonship. Don't leave God. Don't leave the sense, God is my father. Say it with me, God is my father. God is my papa. Don't leave that position of sonship. Because let me just say this, in that position of sonship, is authority to overcome every other temptation to sin at a lesser level. Right? From that position. What was the temptation of God, of, of the devil to Satan in the wilderness? Luke 4. What was the challenge? Each temptation started if you are what? If you are the son, do this. If you are the son, do that. If The challenge was if I can erode your sonship, I got you. If I can sent you there, I got you pinned down. Okay? That exercise on God is my father, I am his son. Can someone get it from the box there? There's a few of those, those uh, laminated packs. Uh, we will going to give it out to a few just now. Just keep it on you. for. But there, remember that exercise I did for you? I gave it out sometime. Say, God is my father. Is my I, am I am his son. The moment you and that is why, for example, if I am faced with a seductress lady coming to tempt me with sexual sin, let's say. What should, I don't look at the temptation and look at it as a man in my flesh and say, I'm going to deal with this, come. Mm, I'm strong. No, The first thought that must hit my mind is, God is my father, I am his son. So I, from that position, I cannot do anything that will misrepresent him. I move off to confront sin from a position of great authority. right? Because once that is compromised, you will see that um, you are more prone and susceptible to fall in a whole range of areas. 1 John 3, 9, quickly, no one who is born of God practices sin. Now tell someone, don't practice sin. Right? Now, watch. How this verse reads in other versions of the Bible, makes so much sense. Listen to the NIV. No one who is born of God will continue in sin. So you don't continue. The Amplified says it the best. Tell someone, listen very carefully. Which of you have Amplified Bibles? All of you should have one at home. I would encourage you, um, save And buy good resources for your study at home. Leave the next three hamburgers and buy an Amplified Bible. It's going to serve you well for the rest of your life. Let me tell you. i got a whole range of of study options. And whenever I'm studying, I compare verses. And when I read the Amplified, it hit me. Watch what it says. No one begotten of God deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. For God's nature abides in him. His seed. Everyone say his seed. Where is it here? His seed, remember the in said his seed abides in him? Amplify says, because God's nature abides and pulsates in him. His principle of life. The divine sperm. Everyone say the divine sperm. The divine sperm remains permanently in him. Um, yeah, I think today's message was just to remind some of you, you are still God's sons. Tell someone, you're still God's son. You haven't left the building. I'm talking about the kingdom, the building, right? You're still God's son. Why? There's a divine sperm, a seed that God put of his nature inside of you. And you cannot extract that from you. You cannot extract. It remains permanently within him. And he cannot practice sinning because he is born of God. Because he is born of God. You hear the message. The message is such a wonderful, on occasion. I will encourage you to study the Bible using the message. Use the message to add to. Just to enlarge things. It's not a version. It's a translation. People conceived and brought into life by God don't make a practice of sin. How could they? God's seed is deep within them. Making them who they are. It is not in the nature of God begotten, the God begotten, to practice and to parade their sin. Okay? So it's not in the nature to practice and to parade their sin. Now, I want to talk about quickly. Everyone say divine sperm. sperm. Say the divine seed is in me. When did that happen? 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. When did that happen? First Peter one twenty three says, "For you have been born again, not of a seed that is perishable, but imperishable, that is brought through the living and what? You know when when a male and female have sex, the male would cast his sperm into the female. In that sperm is capacity for life. If it fuses with the female egg and process." Of life starts to take care of itself. Nine months later, a boom, a big baby comes out. And life has started. Or God says, when you were born again, say born again. You were born again by a seed. The seed was God's word in you that God inserted into your spirit. That seed has got the divine nature. It's called the divine seed or the divine sperm as the Amplified says it. It's got all the potential and possibilities for full grown Godness in you. But you have to nurture the seed. Look at John or James chapter 1 quickly. James 1 verse 18 says something very similar. James 1 18 says, in the exercise of his will, he begot us forth. How? By the word of Truth that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures, okay. Exercise of his will. What did he do? He begot us or he brought us forth by the word of truth. You're begotten or brought forth by the seed of God's word planted deep within you. Now, let me just say this to be a person of integrity, to operate exactly. representing representing God exactly as the Son of God. You cannot do so outside of the Word of God. The Word of God is already a seed in you with the full potential for full-grown maturity inserted within you at the point of your conversion. But that seed, like any seed, needs nurturing, nourishing, needs attention. So you're not going to overcome the devil. Overcome sin without the word of God, I feel sorry for young people that don't read god 's word. You have no arsenal, you have nothing with which to counteract a temptation of the enemy. Now look at first John chapter two, verse twelve. I'll close with with, these, with this last principle, 1 John chapter two and verse twelve. Watch what he says, first John two verse twelve, same guy. Right? Our apostle, John. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. Not so? Verse 13. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men. Why? Because you are strong and what? And the Word of God abides in you. And because of this, what have you done? You have overcome the the evil one. I won't go through an explanation of his addressing three distinct levels of maturity here. He talks to children, young men, and fathers. If the young men know Him and the fathers know Him, but it says specifically the fathers, they know Him from the beginning. The most ancient ways in God's fathers know. Right? But to the young men, he says, he constantly says, young men. I think John's passion here was the young men. He's an old man, and he's concerned for the young men. He says, you young men, you are strong, and you overcome the wicked one, but you've overcome the wicked one because of God's Word. I want to talk to all the parents. I want to encourage all the parents. To insist that your child reads and studies God's Word from an early age. I'm surprised that um, Muslims, young children, know that Quran backwards and forwards by the time they're 12 years old. right? And you want to know why that whole group has ensured sustainability and perpetuity of their cause through centuries of time. But there was a deliberate education involved. Sometimes I feel we in Christendom loosely carry this responsibility. You're not going to represent God without His Word in you. By the way, how on earth are you going to discern between right and wrong if you don't get your standard of rightness and wrongness from God's Word? How on earth will you judge accurately if your source of appeal to judge the thing is not rooted in God's, in God's word, has to be rooted in in the word of the Lord. And so I want to encourage you, not to bend under pressure. Jesus said something amazing. I'm just reminding it now. It's in John eight somewhere. John eight thirty seven, my last verse. John eight thirty seven. He said to, and John eight is a very powerful passage to study. The whole of John eight. My favorite is 32, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free, etc. But the whole portion, is a really long chapter, John 8. Powerful study. And here, the same writer, John, says, Jesus, he comments on Jesus' speech. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me. So why are you seeking to kill me? Why? He says, because my word has got no place in you. So when the word has got no place in you, you will even kill the one sent to you. He says, I'm sent to you. You want to kill me? I know you're Abram's children, but your acting, watch, your external behavior is not right because of a primary problem. No word in you. Ask your neighbor, what word is there in you? What word is in you? Okay. Now, he said, my word has no place in you. Do you know what the word place means in the Greek? It's list, it, it, the, the Greek word is chorio. It literally means this. To pass in and to enter through and to hold in a particular place. So what he's saying is this. You have made no space or room for holding and receiving my word in you. you make space and room in your life or a whole lot of other things. But there's no space and room for holding my word in you. I want to encourage you to increase the room for the word. I have no greater delight in life than the the reading and the study of God's word. It's my bread. It's my meal. It's my gold. It's my silver. It's my honey. It's sweeter than the honeycomb. It's my bread. It's my life. And I realize if I'm going to move towards integrity. Watch I must move as a son. Everyone say, as a son. I must never leave the position of sonship. Because if I do, I will be susceptible to a whole lot of other sins that might compromise my walk. You know, early this morning, I was thinking of Esau. It's not in my notes, but the Lord just... I don't know why I was thinking about Esau. He sold his birthright, not so. Birthright is the preserve of a son, not so. Firstborn sonship, get a birthright. So in selling birthright, he's saying, "I think nothing of sonship." That's symbolic of departing away from, from sonship, right? Hebrews twelve and verse fifteen says the following: "See to it." I'm quoting King James. I know the scripture in the King James: "See to it that no one falls short of the, of the grace of God." That no root of what bitterness bringing up causes trouble. And by it, many people be defiled. Next verse: That they be you no know what? Say immoral, say godless person like Esau. I'm thinking, oh God? <laughs> Why call the man immoral? All well, the man did, he left his birthright. Do you know what happened? And let me let me close with this by instruction of the Lord. Genesis 27:46. Quickly, quickly, Genesis. 27:46, And this is what I believe. I woke up this morning with this warning from the Lord. It wasn't, Esau wasn't part of my mandate this morning. I'm thinking, Lord, why Esau? God said to me, the man vacated sonship, sonship status. It was indicative by the fact that he sold something precious called birth. Right. No. Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the sons of Heth, like these... Daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Rebecca says to her husband Isaac, if our sons, Jacob in particular, but Esau also, she's referencing, if the boys choose to marry inaccurately, take my life. I'm tired, I'll be sick to the point of vomiting, I will not live. You know what her concern was? Abraham, Isaac, now Jacob. If the boys choose to marry wrongly, What's on the line is patriarchal transfer of the will of the Lord. They might lose everything to the wrong choice of a partner. Not so. So, the scripture says, Jacob, verse 28, the next chapter, verse 28. 28, verse 1. Genesis 28, verse 1. So, Isaac called Jacob and he blessed him and he charged him. Everyone say he charged him. And said to him, You will not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. I think Isaac, see this here, he says, my boy, don't choose the wrong partner. You will not. Everyone say charged. I explained this when I did the dating and courtship uh, seminar. The word charged here, is Sawad literally means, I install within you a principle that will govern your choice of the right partner. Right? And it literally means this, if you choose wrongly, may the alarm bells in you go off. Like when your place is alarmed, you get an intruder. Woo, woo, goes off, right? What Jacob is saying, what Isaac is saying to Jacob is, if you think of the wrong girl in your head, may you yell, woo, 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 wrong. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there, right? I hope some of you young people are yelling, woo, woo, woo. <laughs> saying, don't go there. And look at the next verse, too. Verse seven, sorry, verse seven. Go down a few verses, and what did Jacob do? What did Jacob do? And Jacob obeyed his father and his mother. He did not go to the land of Canaan, to the sons of Heth. He went to another location. Sometimes to avoid temptation, simply physically remove yourself from the context that will tempt you. (laughs) Baalega, kick down, move. Don't say, I'm strong, I can withstand. No. Joseph ran. But take your coat and run. Don't leave the coat. To leave behind, get you into trouble sometimes, right? But yes, the frightening verse, Esau. Everyone say Esau. Why does the Bible call Esau immoral and godless? Look at verse. Look at Esau's response. Esau, the next verse, verse eight and nine. I'll close with this. Esau saw. Watch the daughters of Canaan displease his father, Isaac. He knew my father doesn't approve, and that, and Esau went to. Ishmael, and he married besides the wives that he had, Mahalath, and the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Neboeth. So look at verse 8 again. Yes, 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 he is great sin. Okay. Esau saw the daughters of Canaan displeased his father. And he went to do exactly the thing. That displeases the father. So, why was that? Why was he prone to that? Because he sold birthright a few months before. So he steps out of sonship. When you step, you, you've committed the sin that leads to death. Then a whole lot of other things now become easy for you. you your conscience becomes seared, and you know the Bible calls Esau an immoral and godless. Godless means you take God out of your world. You less God in your world, right? Now the sad thing is that, according to Hebrews twelve, it says he fall he fallen short of grace, no grace for him. You know, and you know what the Bible says in Romans, Esau I have hated. God says, God never ever isolates people that He hates. In Scripture, the Bible says Romans, like God says, "Up Esau, Esau I have hated." So the Father says something but you do something deliberately opposite to bring injury and insult to your father, but you open up a whole... I'm talking natural father and spiritual father here. Okay? If your natural or spiritual father says, do this, and you do the opposite because you know it displeases him, the sin of Esau is upon you. Right? In fact, when it says immoral, it's pornos, from which you get the English word pornography or fornication. The man went into unbridled sexual um, behavior. And God in the New Testament says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. That there be no immoral or or godless person like Esau. I want to encourage you, don't go the way of Esau. Do we have those things? Say this after me, I am God's son. How many people are thankful for salvation? I'm so grateful that I'm God's son. Ira, where would we be without the Lord? Eh? Hey, where would you be without the Lord, Ash? You are God's son, Ashley. Nadir son. You are God's son. You're not Nadir son. <laughs> you are God's son. You know why? When you, Ashley, when you start off like that, you say, "I am God's son." The sperm. You must, maybe you must say this. The sperm of God is in me. That nature is in me. I cannot help but act in, in keeping with that nature. Right? I will never leave that nature. I will feed that nature with the word of God. You all, everyone got one? Okay, give me one choice. We did this some time ago, about two, three years back, I remember. We're teaching on Sonship, and every, all the kids had one. Remember this? And I emailed, I'll email you a digital copy of this when I get home. I'll still have it saved, I think. Okay, there's some there, Rita. Barita, and... Uh, okay. You know, this was a very serious message today. If Pastor Thalma, my father, and the Lord says, don't do that, Landon. Don't Don't go there. And he warns me. And I do it simply because he said, don't do it. You know what I've just indicated? That I'm not his son. I've just stepped beyond boundary of sonship. Well, that's your view, but I'll do my thing. I've just demonstrated I'm not his son. But I want to affirm everybody here today and cajole you, encourage you. You are God's son. From now on, everyone say from today. Start to live life differently. Everyone say exact representation. Okay, they have all the young people here, all all the young boys and and the youth on the stage, quickly, with your pieces of... I write unto you, young men, because you are strong, and you've overcome the evil one, and the word of God abides in you. Okay, take take one of these. Just stand together. Wow. Hallelujah. If you all have access to read something, okay, just... We don't stand next to someone that has it. Okay. I'm going to do this with great authority in the realm of the Spirit. God instructed me to do this. I want to say this to all of you, and both here and there. This is not simply an exercise to conclude the service. We're making this as an authoritative, this is in your face, an authoritative declaration of of truth. Everyone say affirmation. affirmation. You know why? I declare over you all here, especially you here on the stage. Because when I read John, God spoke something to my heart. About young men and you're the youth. Because as an aged apostle, he addresses three categories. He speaks to the fathers, he speaks to the young men, and he speaks to the little children. And he can talk by virtue of his experience to three distinct categories of people. But I think the, the hand and the finger of the Lord for this morning service is upon you guys. I I, I charge you as Jacob was charged by Isaac. I lay down the principle in your heart, especially in the matter of relationships, that you will choose accurately. That none of you here will be lost to the kingdom. By virtue of a wrong choice. That none of you will vacate your firstborn sonship position. Everyone say firstborn. Esau their firstborn and it became immoral and and godless. As I speak to them, I speak to you. But obviously our focus is here okay. Um, I, I say to all of you, On stage. All of you are sons of God. You are of God. God's nature and his sperm, divine sperm and seed is inside of you. That none of you will leave this position of sonship. None of you leave the authority. Let me just say this to you. If you truly understand it, young people and little children. You are a son. Say, I'm a son. Son. Say, son. Son. Say it louder. Son. Son. I am a son. I'm a son. Get that mentality to this boy, as young as he is, and let him never depart from that. Let me say you, you're cutting 90% of his problems in life out already. Amen. Say it again as a prophetic st- I am a son. A I am a son. <laughs> he was taking the prophetic statement, I am a son. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can see, he's, the, he's not just the echo he wants to preach now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lee, I'm so pleased to see you here. I remember the first time you came to the church. How many years ago? Three years, even more years ago. I gave you a copy of Sam Sullivan's book, My Father, My Father. And I said to you at that stage, that you'll become a father even to many. Remember? Don't lose that. Don't leave Sancho. Amen? Don't leave Sancho. I want you to stand with us. We're all going to do it together. Amen? Then we're going to pray. I want you to hold this. Let me read the, the the preamble first. It says, We will believe in and have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our sons of God, and can relate to God as our Father. This is the most powerful revelation any human can ever have. Its complete understanding will transform your life. I do the following meditative exercise regularly. Repeat each line below, emphasizing the underlined parts each time. Say it out loudly and with firm internal conviction as to its truth. The challenge is do this exercise twice a day for the rest of the month. Rest in the knowledge that God is your Father and that you are His Son. Okay? Are we ready? I want you to make it loud. I know you don't have a problem being loud. They must need they need the encouragement, right? You're gonna say it loud, you're gonna say it because you believe it. Do you believe it, right? Amen. Do you believe it? Okay, let's do it together. One, two, three. God God is my father, I am his son. God is my father, I am his son. God is my father, I am his son. God is my father. 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 I am his son. The last one. God is my father. I am his son. Lift your hands to the Lord. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Father, that your sperm is in us, the divine seed, through the power of your word in all of us. And I declare that none of us will depart and vacate that sin that leads to death. None of us will Come to a place of spiritual death. I affirm it, I release it, I decree it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I secure the destinies of all of us here present, even those members of our family that are not here today. Father, in Jesus' name, I assert the reality of our sonship identity in you. You are Father. You are Papa. You are Daddy. We love you. We are your sons. And God, I pray that you develop within us a new love for your word, which is a seed itself. And the sower sowed seed amongst various grounds. Your word is our seed by which we partake of the divine nature. I pray, oh God, I impart a new love. Come on, everyone, lift your hands. I pray a new love for the Bible, a new love for your word, a craving, a thirst after reading the scriptures and understanding. I pray every time we read, I pray this week, God, as we engage John's epistles, may you speak to us. May you impart grace to us. May we see you, for as we see you, we become like you in your word. I bless the house today in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray great grace and peace, Father, would be upon everybody. I pray none will be lost. Your word says you are able to keep us from falling. And to present us faultless before your glorious throne. I thank you that that is a reality. Faithful is he who has called us. And he himself will do it. And he who has begun a good work. He will complete it. Thank you for these realities God. So I bless your people in Jesus mighty name. Amen and amen. amen.